Well, good morning. As you're getting settled, if you have your copy of God's Word, you can be turning to the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, Romans chapter 10, and we will meet there together in just a few moments as we attempt to glean something to encourage us this week from the Word of God. We're thankful that you're here this morning. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together, and we hope that this is encouraging for you. As we've talked about over the last few weeks, and even as Cody prayed just a moment ago for us, it has been and continues to be a challenging time in our country. But we continue to maintain that while we're thankful for the internet, we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to study and to have people join us online, the best place that you can be each week is here. It was the best place you could be before the pandemic, and it certainly is still the best place you can be during the pandemic. We understood and appreciate the decisions, the tough decisions that our elders have to make and have made, such as maybe having to cancel services for a time. You know, it's one of those things that we don't always consider, but we used to do that. Whenever it flooded or whenever it snowed, whenever it iced over, we did that from time to time. So I think it was perfectly okay and acceptable for a short time that we did that. We come back safer. We try to be careful, even as Brian said in his announcements, we want to be sure that we're doing all we can to help one another and protect ourselves. But this is the best place that you can be. It is encouraging to see folks and to be able to fellowship for just a moment. And we hope first and foremost that you can glean something from the Word of God as we study together. I came in this morning and realized that we had created a log jam in the lobby and in the hallway there with our banner. Uh, but we'll just say it a few times again throughout the course of the year, remind you that we want you to be signing that and reading the Word of God. We still have a few of the plans if you're interested in that out on the table if you want something like that to help you along the way, but we want you to be reading and then signing your name to that banner. A question came up, and I'll just remind you again, what we're asking you to do is if you read a book of the Bible, to then sign your name to that banner. And I thought about the math again. I was never very good at that, but of course nowadays with our phones, we carry a calculator around with us. My math said that if we have 66 books of the Bible and we take 90 or so members or people that are sort of regularly active here, then we get a little under 6,000. If we just bump it up to 95 people that will read the Bible through our members here at the congregation, including our children, then we can get just over 6,000 signatures. So I, I said maybe we could have around 6,000. By count, there are about 1,189 chapters in the Bible. So if we each sign for every chapter that we read, we'd have over 100,000 signatures. Now, I don't know that we can fit all that on that banner in there. Now, that being said, we would, if we need to get another banner, we said this Wednesday night, we'll get another banner. We would love to have to do that. Um, but Miss Sylvia, some of you saw that we posted the picture of the banner online to try to encourage folks and let people know we were doing that. Miss Sylvia wrote on there and asked, she said, can we put the book of the Bible by our name that we read? And I said, sure, that help you keep up. Of course, I kind of poked fun at her too and said that would be sure that you don't read Jude over and over again. Some of you might try that, I know. So, uh, But if you want to, you can sign your name and put Matthew and then sign your name and put Mark and sign your name and put Genesis or whatever it is so it helps you keep up. But it's already filling up. And we're excited about that, and we want to keep that going through the year. When you think about the question that's asked in your notes, if you have your bulletin with you for our lesson today, what type of Christian are you? I suppose that as you look through the Word of God, that question's been asked a lot of times of people, and you could take a look at many different passages to consider that. I was thinking about a few of those. Matthew chapter 7 is one. Some of you have been reading Matthew as you go through your daily Bible reading. Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the fact that sometimes we are people who build our house, or some people are people who build their house upon the rock. 
And yet there are other people who build their house upon the sand. It's an important message, so much so that someone put it to a tune and we sing it with our children all the time to remind them of the importance. But the preacher could sometimes say, what type of Christian are you? Are you one that builds on the rock or one that builds on the sand? We go forward and we think about Luke chapter 18 and Jesus gives an example of praying. And when he talks about those who would pray, he gives an example and he says, would you be like the Pharisee? who stands there on the corner, on the street to be seen with his hands raised up in the air. You know, the Bible talks about uh, praying sometimes with raised hands. There's not necessarily anything uh, perfectly wrong with that, just to do that. But do you know that Jesus also points out that sometimes people who do that are just doing it to be seen of men. And the Pharisee stands there and he wants to be heard and he wants to be seen. But when you pray, what type of prayer are you or what type of Christian are you? you want to be like the tax collector who, who bows on the ground or bows his head and beats his chest and says, you know, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What's your attitude? Which of those two types are you? We're going to talk about Romans 10 in just a moment, but I was thinking about Romans chapter 6. There, G, or, excuse me, there Paul makes another comparison. Are you a slave of righteousness or are you a slave to sin? And you know what's interesting is we consider some of these types, as we're going to do in just a moment, Paul doesn't seem to give a lot of leeway. He doesn't say, well, it can be in between or anything like that. He says you are either a slave to righteousness, which is what we need to be, or on the other hand, you are a slave to sin, which is certainly what we need to avoid. But what type of Christian are you? When it comes to Romans chapter 10, specifically in verse number 2, Paul begins to talk about a, a couple of types of Christians. He says to those that would read this, For I bear them witness... Speaking of the Jews, we're going to make mention of that again in just a moment. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, it's interesting. I was reading an article by our brother Jack Wilkie, who writes for the Focus Press. He kind of laid out this idea, and I thought I could, we could expound upon it this morning. But there are two things that are mentioned there, zeal and knowledge. They're good things. That's perfectly great. If you have your bulletin in front of you in your notes, though, you would notice we're going to talk about four types of Christians. Zeal and knowledge. If we put those two things together and we put them on an X and Y axis, as we sometimes do, I don't know how many of you have taken the personality tests or, or those kinds of things. We offer those to our employees or you have to take them sometimes to plot people on a chart. But if we take zeal and knowledge and we turn it into a four-quadrant chart, and you can see on the screen here, hopefully, there are already some dots on this particular chart that Brother Wilkie used in his article to show us that you could end up in any of these four quadrants and be one of these four types of Christians. Christian, you know, as we think about these two things, zeal and knowledge, we can come up with four different kinds of people when it comes to our religion. You can have both. You can have neither. Or you can maybe have one, but not the other. And so that's what we want to consider in our lesson this morning. And we'll come back to Romans chapter 10 and talk about it a little bit more in just a second. So what's the first type? Well, the first type of Christian is someone who has no zeal and no knowledge. Now, I would note for you that we're going to say Christian. That there might be Christians who have no zeal and no knowledge. And we might ultimately sum this up by saying that this person is spiritually dead. This person is spiritually dead. They don't know, they have no knowledge, and they don't care. They have no zeal. The problems with this are, are very obvious. 
they're numerous to us. We don't want to take the time this morning to really hammer these home because we would pretty much agree that a person who has no zeal and no knowledge is in a pretty bad place. But the problem is, our culture, our world today is so filled with, we might say, cultural Christians or nominal Christians who are really just dead men walking and dead women walking. You see a lot of folks who are just cultural Christians. And unfortunately, that describes a lot of people. Hopefully, no one that we know, and certainly, hopefully, not us. These are people who know nothing of the faith they claim, and they're not interested in finding out more. I would suggest that sometimes that's a problem for us, even when we see people who only come into the building on Sunday morning. You see, we'll welcome them. We're glad that they're here. We want them to be here, and Sunday morning is a great start, but if you come only one time a week for one service, and then you don't practice anything we talk about as you go through your week, that's a person that we might call a cultural Christian. Their version of Christianity is something that they solely do on their own time. You see, someone says, well, I'll be there when I can get there. I'll be there if I feel like it. If I can get up, if we can get the family going in the right direction on Sunday morning, we'll be there then. Or someone says, you know, it's if we can fit it into our own schedule. That's when we'll come. I mean, we know that you guys are going to be there every Sunday, but we got baseball this Sunday, and, and then we got travel basketball the next Sunday. But you know, the third Sunday is looking pretty good. I think we'll, we'll have it open. We'll be there then. Cultural Christians. People who have no zeal and no knowledge. You see, the problem with this is that Jesus does not offer cheap grace. You know, I think about the, his letter, his statement in Revelation chapter 2. Do you remember Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 through 22, as he's speaking to the church at Laodicea? He's talking to the Laodiceans there, and he says something to the effect of, I would that you would be hot or cold. And we think, we stop for a minute, when we read that, we say, wait a minute, would Jesus... The Son of God who, who gave His life, who shed His blood, would Jesus say, I want you to be cold? That doesn't make any sense. But the point that He's trying to drive home is, I would rather that you be hot or cold, but not in between. Don't try to be a cultural Christian. Don't try to be someone who's just a Christian when they want to be. I'm not offering my blood so that you can choose to do what you want to do on your own terms whenever you're interested in doing it. But this describes many people. They have no zeal and they have no knowledge. And so we look on our chart here, and as you view it, it's the bottom left-hand corner. There is zero, and we talk about the axis, and we talk about math. Zero is usually in the bottom left-hand corner. And so in that bottom left-hand quadrant, we find people who have zero of both of those things. No zeal and no knowledge. But let's go on from there. The second type of Christian that we might speak about is one who has knowledge, but without any zeal in their life. And the truth of the matter is, that this is a very dangerous place to be. You see, it sounds better, right? When we talk about what Jesus said just a moment ago uh, to the church at Laodicea, it sounds better that you would have knowledge, but when he talks about being wishy-washy, when he talks about being lukewarm, that's not what he's interested in. This is a very dangerous place for us to be if we are in this particular quadrant. In fact, as we think about what else Jesus says, this person who falls into this quadrant is in the same boat as the Pharisees. But not just the Pharisees, the Pharisees that Jesus so often spoke against. 
How often do you read the words of Jesus and he says, you Pharisees, you scribes, you hypocrites, specifically in Matthew chapter 25. He spoke against him in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 5. Matthew 18, 5, he's quoting from Isaiah there, but that's where Jesus says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These are the people who have some knowledge but they're living life without any zeal. And this is exactly what he addressed as well in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 specifically though. Do you remember when he's giving them those commands, when he's saying those things? He addresses that the true intention of the commands that they had missed was a change of heart. He mentions two there specifically. He talks about murder. You remember he says, you have heard it said, do not murder But I say now unto you, it's about thinking about it. If you've got a problem with thinking about wanting to hurt someone or murder someone, thinking about it in your heart, you've got a problem. Then he goes on, he talks secondly about adultery. He says, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's still true. But if you are thinking about that all the time, And of course, he talks about men. We know the sexual desires of men quite often are stronger maybe sometimes than women. But men, if you are looking at women and thinking about women in that way, you've got a problem because it's in your heart and in your mind. The action, it's still no good, but so is the idea of thinking of it. He says it's not just about that, it's about changing your heart. And so you've got the knowledge, but you've got to have the zeal. To be honest... If we're really honest for just a moment, and that's what the preacher really asks of you each week, you know, and I try to be honest with myself, of course, but if we're really being honest for a minute, the problem here is that this can be one of the most common traps for members of the churches of Christ. Think about that for just a moment. This can be one of the most common traps for members of the churches of Christ. We are a group that emphasizes Bible Knowledge. I've heard some of you that are older talk about our great preachers of the past. Some of them who literally were walking Bibles. They didn't need a phone. They didn't need an app. You ask them a question and they know the location of the verse. They can find it and they can probably quote it to you. That's great. It's true. And those men were, should be honored for what they were able to do. And we should do better about that. But if we're not careful, it becomes a trap because we make knowledge the only thing. We should all be pursuing a greater knowledge of the Word because it's through the Word that we come to know God, that we come to know Christ and His sacrifice. But it can be very easy to know all of the right things in our head and yet be totally unaffected in our heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 1, Paul mentions this. He says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. I mean, that's it right there. We're not saying don't have knowledge, but if you only go after knowledge, it will puff us up. It's this kind of approach that turns the Bible into a textbook that's full of facts to be memorized. It's this kind of thought process that turns the Bible into a legal code, full of codes to be cited or to establish authority. You see, the Bible has an immeasurable depth of knowledge. It really does. But we must never let it become a volume that only speaks to our head. This was a struggle of the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7. In case you think this might not describe you or might not describe us, we're going to look at the churches, the seven churches of Asia in Revelation there at least three different times. We've already talked about the Laodiceans. But in Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1, 
Jesus speaks to those who had, at Ephesus. They had all their doctrinal ducks in a row. They were standing firm against false teachers, but they had lost their first love. They had knowledge, but they had no zeal. So let's look at it again. In this chart, that would be the bottom right-hand corner. You're doing good in knowledge, you're increasing in knowledge, but then you don't have any zeal. Your zeal is still low. Is that something that describes you? We're moving in the right direction, but we're still not there yet. What about number three? Zeal without knowledge. Now, this zeal without knowledge is exactly what caused Paul to write those words in Romans chapter 10. This is who he was speaking to. And he describes not only people that we're going to talk about here, but he describes, this describes some other folks that we read about in the Bible as well. So let's talk about a few of those. Number one, he describes the Jews. He was writing of the Jews here. That's who Paul is talking to. We, we preach the importance of context, and that's true. Romans chapter 10, he's writing to the Jews. These Jews cared greatly about God. Okay, They had zeal. They have care and concern, and they, they show that. But they remained where? They remained under the law instead of submitting to Christ. The problem that they would be preaching against is those people who would stay under the old law instead of turning to Christ. They have a zeal for God, believing in God, but they're not following Christ. Their knowledge is not growing. And as, ad and as, and as admirable as their zeal was, it would not save them because knowledge is crucial. And that's what we're trying to talk about so far this year. That's why we, we purchase a banner that we can hang up. It's not solely that you can check that box. We hope that you care about God and Christ and their mission should be our mission and serving others. That's great. But we have to have some knowledge to go along with it. We get that from the Word of God. The Jews is exactly, are exactly who Paul is talking about here, but let's go further. We said Revelation, the seven churches of Asia. This idea of having zeal with no knowledge describes the church at Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, about verse 18 and following. This was their struggle. They had increasingly good works of love, service, faith, and patience. But they did not stand for truth in opposition. And you may not have had time to turn there, but if you go back and read Revelation chapter 2... The words of Jesus to the church at Thyatira, he uses a, a word Jezebel to sum up, if you will, this, this idea of false teaching. They had love. They had service and faith. But they were not willing to stand in opposition to Jezebel who taught sexual, or who taught sexual morality. Clearly there was a zeal, but also either a lack of knowledge or an unwillingness to follow or grow in that knowledge. So this group also describes the church at Thyatira, but let's go further. If we're not careful, this group often describes new Christians. Think about it for just a moment. Think about who we're talking about. We're not trying to dog people who are new Christians. We're thankful for new Christians. We're supposed to be making and, and helping folks become new Christians. But when someone first becomes a Christian, this will typically be their state. And I would say as well, that is certainly okay for a time. We're thankful that many people, when they rise out of the watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life, they are on fire. And what we don't want to do is just douse them and quench that in that way. But they can't stay that way with no knowledge. You see, most folks, when they're baptized, they know what they need to do to become a Christian to be baptized, but they don't know everything else that the Bible says about lots of other things. 
Worshiping the way that we worship, the way the Bible prescribes worship, may be something new to them. Giving the way the Bible prescribes that we give may be new to them. So we don't want to just put them down and run them in the ground and make them cynical about all these things, but they also have to grow in their knowledge. Zeal that is never paired with knowledge is a whole other kind of danger. You see, we said type number two was dangerous. That's true. But a person who is on fire but never grows in knowledge is dangerous as well. This person can have a fire to do things for God and tell others about Him, but if there is no knowledge there, they will deceive both themselves and others. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse number 2. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Desire without knowledge is not good. So the zeal is great. We're thankful for that. But we have to go even further. But let's notice one more. Because if we're being honest, if we're being honest again, this, this group also describes very commonly and very often what we would label as progressives. People who would be labeled as progressives. Now I'm not talking politically here. We're not getting into all that. But when we talk about people who are progressive minded, this can be a problem. There are all kinds of bad things that happen that start with someone. And let me say this. Perhaps even someone who is well-intentioned. All kinds of bad things can start with someone, even a well-intentioned person, who is doing something in the name of God, but without consulting His Word to see if that's really what he desires. There are so many things that are prevalent in so-called Christendom Christendom today, things that people do in worship because a person thought, oh, this will make us stronger, this will make us better, this will give us more zeal, but they never consulted God's word to see what he wanted. That comes from having knowledge, that comes from the word of God. If we want to be what God wants us to be, we need those things. We need to grow in our zeal. But we can't do it without knowledge because then we're going to find ourselves in a very dangerous place. All kinds of wrong ideas have been propagated over the years in the name of being loving, which shows a desire that is in the right place, but an understanding that is not in the right place. 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse number 18. 2 Peter 3, 18. For this reason we must grow in the grace of and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, maybe that's what we should talk about when we baptize someone. We want you to grow in grace. We want you to grow in zeal. But Peter says we must also grow in knowledge. So let's look at our chart one more time. We're moved up to the top left-hand quadrant as you look at it. A person who has lots of zeal, but they're not very far along with their knowledge. We're in the right direction But it seems to me that we might be considered in that lukewarm place in which many people like to find themselves. So what's last? Well, you've already guessed it and maybe already filled it in if you're going along in your blanks. We're talking about someone who has both zeal and knowledge. A person who is filled with zeal and filled with knowledge. But, but, here's the thing. Well, first of all, this is the goal, right? I mean, ultimately, this is our goal. This is where we want to be. There's no doubt about that. It's hard to obtain. And when we really think about our life, 
The problem is not so much that we can find ourselves in one quadrant and one quadrant only, but that we're a bit like a moving dot. We go into one and then we fall into the other and we move up in one and we move down into the other and it comes and it goes. But this is the goal, to have zeal and knowledge. But here's the thing. When we think about that, very often the person who has both zeal and knowledge doesn't say it. They won't say it. They would never stand before us and say, well, I am full of both zeal and knowledge. Look at what I have accomplished. Because if you're in that quadrant, you're going to be humble probably as well. And you're not going to say it. So it's something that we should strive to attain, obtain, but it's probably something we're never going to brag about either. You see, the greater love that we desire or develop for God, and the more one knows, the more one pers the person is going to have less pride and less self-congratulation. Because that's what we learn when we read the Word of God. That a true Christian is going to be humble in all that they do. So we should strive to be there, but once we get there, we're probably not going to brag about it if we're truly full of zeal and full of knowledge. But the truth is, there are times when our zeal will be strong and times when it will fall off. There will always be areas in which we can expand our knowledge. It is a lifelong pursuit to have our hearts, our hearts filled with passion and our heads filled with knowledge. Zeal and knowledge, that's what we're after, and it's hard to do. So one more time, four quadrants, which one are you? Chances are good that as you look at that, and what we're about to ask of you in just a moment as we're about to sing this invitation song, is the truth of the matter is you are in one at this moment. As of this morning, as of coming here, and in this second, as we are about to extend the Lord's invitation, you are in one. As you look backwards, you may see that you have wavered around. As you look forward to the rest of this year, to the rest of your life, chances are good, despite your best intention, you're going to, to waver just a little bit. But may we always strive to be full of zeal and full of knowledge. So the real question, the real question this morning is, which of the other options, which of these on the left-hand side and on the bottom, which one of these options do we have a tendency to be towards? And how do I avoid it? Is it that you don't pick up your Bible enough and grow in knowledge so you're on the left-hand side? Or is that, hey, I read my Bible every day, but I need to have a little more passion and a little more zeal? And how can I avoid those? In Romans chapter 10 and verse 2, Paul says that he would bear them witness. This morning, what witness would Paul bear of us? Is it that we're full of zeal and knowledge? or that we're somewhere else on this particular chart. We're thankful that we have that challenge before us. We're thankful that we have an opportunity this morning, breath still in our lungs, that we can meet here and we can make things right. We can make our life right with God. As we conclude this lesson and ask you to consider where you stand, not only on that chart, but specifically in your relationship with God, do you need to become a Christian? Maybe you're here this morning and you're zero at zero, zero because you've never even become a Christian. We challenge you this morning to become gospel obedient. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Allow the Lord to add you to His church and begin to grow. You see, if you're that passionate and that strong about doing it, you're going to shoot up on the zeal side immediately. It is. It's a good thing. We hope that you'll also continue to grow in knowledge. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a Christian. We will be singing to encourage you.
Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that. So you've had some zeal, but you've struggled with your knowledge. We're trying to make an effort this year to challenge ourselves and to challenge one another. But maybe you're here and you want the prayers of the congregation to encourage you in that. Maybe you're here and it's something else amiss in your life. There's sin in your life that's separating you from God. We take this opportunity and ask you to come forward and to meet with one of our good elders who wants to pray with you and for you. Not that so we can point and laugh, but so that we can help you and encourage you. So that we know that as you leave, there's nothing in your heart or mind that would bother you, that would worry you because you're right with God. Maybe you need to repent of sin in a public fashion such as that. We'll be singing to encourage you as well. Or maybe you're here and as we journey on that chart and journey through this life, you're struggling with something and you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters. We will be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.